Meseches when we say Parikdala Mishnah Zayin until Parikdala Mishnah Yud. The last few Mishnahs are be discussing the halachas of the Noah when somebody overcharges and tricks somebody into into paying a higher price than the real price, or tricking somebody to sell something to him for a lower price than the real price. And we learn that at least according to most opinions, Ha'inah Arba Kesef. For it to be considered Ha'inah fraud, it has to be Arba Kesef for silver mois out of 24. Out of a seller, which is 24 silver mois. So 4 out of 24 is 1 sixth. So we learn that if it's exactly a sixth, then the money has to be returned. If it's more than a sixth, then the entire sale could be invalid. But as it may, because we mentioned that amount, the mission now mentions a couple of other minimum amounts. As we'll now see. Now the halacha is if somebody makes a claim against somebody else, let's say Ruvain claims to Shimon that you owe me a hundred zuz, and Shimon admits to part of Ruvain's claim. He says, I admit that I owe you fifty zuz. This is known as Moida that he admits to part of the claim, and the law is that he is obligated mid a to make a shavua to make an oath about the rest of it, that he doesn't owe the rest of the 100 zuz, the remaining 50 zuz. So the Mishnah is talking about Medunemixas, and it says that which we're going to translate to mean, literally it means that the claim is two, needs to be at least two silver mois, but we're going to understand it according to the conclusion of the Gemara, that it means that he has to deny at least the value of two silver mois. The Haidah, and he has to admit to owing at least Shoah Pruta, at least the value of a Pruta, which means that the claim in total has to be at least two silver mois plus a Pruta, and he would need to deny at least two silver mois that he doesn't owe that amount, and admit to owing at least a Pruta. Now, since he mentioned a Pruta, the Mishnah tells us that Shomish Pruta is saying there are five areas where we see this concept of a Shoah Pruta. Firstly, Haidah Shoah Pruta. When it comes to Midwim Miktas, the person has to admit to at least a Shoah Prutta that he owes the other person in order to obligate him to make a Shavua about the rest of it. Secondly, a woman becomes Mukudeshes by receiving Kiddushin, uh, an object which is worth at least a Shoah Prutta. Kiddushin is the first stage of marriage and it is typically done by the man giving the woman something which is worth at least a Shoah Prutta. Thirdly, somebody who benefits from an item which belongs to the Besamikdosh, which is worth at least a Shoah Pruta, Mo'al has transgressed Me'ila, which is when one illegally benefits from the Besamikdosh property, and he, he needs to bring a Korban, as well as paying the Besamikdosh the value of the item which he benefited from, plus a fifth of the value which we'll discuss in the next Mishnah. Fourthly, the Hamaitsha Pruta, somebody who finds an item which is worth at least a Pruta, Chayl Hachriz is obligated to announce it and find the owner. The Mitzvah Shavedo, which we discussed in the first two Prokham of the Masechta, applies only to an item which is worth at least a Pruta, because otherwise it's not considered to be a lost item. It has no value that you consider to be a loss to the owner. And finally, the fifth one is what we learnt about in Bavakama in the ninth parak, the Hagezalas Chavedo Pruta. Somebody who steals from his friend an item which is worth at least a pruta, or if he stole at least a pruta of money, v'nishbaloi, and he swore to the owner of the item that he didn't steal it, and the same would apply not just to stealing, if, let's say, he was given somebody else's item to guard, and he later swears that he doesn't have the other person's item, 
So in order to, for him to fulfill his mitzvah of returning that item to its owner and to gain an atonement, he needs to bring the item to the owner, even if it means traveling all the way to a distant place called Modai. And it's not enough to give it to a messenger to do it. You need to go to the owner himself and make sure that it gets to his hands. And only that way can you receive an atonement. Since you mentioned the five areas where we see that Shoah uh, Pruta is relevant, the Mishnah now tells us there are five areas throughout the Mishnah and Shas where we see that the amount of a Chaymesh is relevant. Now, a Chaymesh literally means a fifth. However, it's very important to realize that when the Mishnah refers to a Chaymesh, it actually refers to a quarter. So why is it called a fifth? The answer is because a quarter, once you add it on to the whole amount it emerges that the quarter is a fifth of the final total. For example, if you have a hundred zuz, so a quarter of the a hundred zuz is 25 zuz, 25%. And if you add that 25 onto the a hundred, you now have 125 zuz. If we now go back to our original quarter, which was 25, 25 represents a fifth of 125. So a quarter of something is the same as a fifth of the total amount plus the quarter. So when the Mishnah says a choymesh, which literally means a fifth, it's really referring to a quarter. So where are the five places where this concept of adding a choymesh is relevant? The first one is if somebody eats food which is designated for only koyanim to eat, and it's forbidden for a non-koyan to eat such food. The Mishnah will list certain tithes from one's produce or bread or fruit which one gives to a koyan. And even if the koyan gives permission to somebody else to eat it, he's forbidden, only a koyan is allowed to eat this, this food. Now, if a non-koyen eats this food which is forbidden for him to eat, he needs to pay the koyen the value of the food plus a fifth, or plus a quarter, as we explained. So this lists a few of these tithes, and even though there are a few of them, they're all counted as one. They're all in one category, because the idea of this chaymesh is the same for all of them. So the mission says, Eichel truma, one who eats truma. This is the regular gift which is given every year from one's produce to a koyen. It's on average 2% of his produce, or trumas meiser. This is the gift which a levy, once a levy receives his tithe from the farmers, his tithe is known as meiserishan, and that's a tenth of the farmer's produce. He receives that, and he, re- he separates a tenth of that as trumas meiser to give it to a koyen. Right now, demai is produce which one buys from an amharetz, from an ignorant person, and because he can't be sure that the ignorant person separated tithes properly, midrabbanon, one who buys this produce from the amharetz, needs to separate certain tithes again from that produce, and so trumas meiser shall demai, trumas meiser, which somebody separates from demai produce and gives to a coin again, even though it's midrabbanon only, they still apply the same punishment of adding on a chaymesh. The reason why the Mishnah doesn't list truma of Demai is because all, even ignorant people, were assumed to separate truma gedola, which is the main truma. It's only truma smaisa, which they were suspected of not separating, and therefore one who buys such produce from an Amhoretz is obligated to separate that himself. The Chala. Chala is the portion of dough which one separates from his dough and gives to a koyen. And again, only a koyen is allowed to eat that. Vabikurim and Bikurim, which are the first fruit which ripen in one's field, which he brings to the Beis HaMikdosh. And ultimately it goes to a koyen. So in all of these cases, if a non-koyen eats this produce, eats this food, this fruit, Moisif Choymesh, he needs to add on a fifth, add on a quarter, when he pays back the value to a koyen. Another important thing to note is that all of this only applies if he ate it by mistake. 
He didn't realise it was Trummer. However, if he knew that it was Trummer and he intentionally violated the prohibition of a non-Kohen eating Trummer, then this idea of adding a Chumash does not apply. Adding a Chumash is part of the atonement, so that only a, that atonement is only given to somebody who violated the prohibition unintentionally. Alright, so this is all the first type of Chumash, where if a non-Kohen eats something which is forbidden for him to eat as a non-Kohen, he needs to pay back the value plus a fifth. Secondly, one who redeems Netaravoi. What is Netaravoi? So the first three years that fruit grow on a tree, the first three years since the tree was planted, it is forbidden to benefit from that fruit. And that is known as Orla. During the fourth year, the fruit which grows during that year, there is a mitzvah to bring all of that fruit up to Yerushalayim and eat it over there. And then from the fifth year onwards, one can eat it regularly. Now, of course, it can be very inconvenient to bring up so many fruit to Yerushalayim, and what they would do is they would redeem it onto money. The value of the fruit, they would redeem the holiness and sanctity of the fruit onto money. They would bring up the money to Yerushalayim, and then spend the money in Yerushalayim on new fruit, and they would eat it over there. Now, when they redeem it onto money, they don't redeem it onto money worth exactly the same as the fruit. Rather, they redeem it onto money which is worth the value of the fruit plus a choymesh. Or maiseshani shaloi, the same applies to when one redeems maiseshani onto money. Maiseshani is a tenth of one's produce, which also one separates and brings up to Yerushalayim. And again, when he redeems it onto money, he needs to add on a choymesh of its value. With choymesh, he adds on a choymesh. And this is learnt from Psukim. Thirdly, the Hapides Hekdeshoi, one who redeems something which he himself designated to the Beis HaMikdosh, if he then comes to pay its value in order to take the item back and benefit from it himself, Moisif Choymesh, he needs to add on a fifth. Fourthly, Hanedem Shoah Prutam Hekdosh, one who benefits from something belonging to the Beis HaMikdosh, which is worth at least Shoah Pruta, like we saw in the previous Mishnah, Part of his atonement for having transgressed Me'ila is Moses Choymesh. When he pays back the value to the Beis HaMikdosh, he also has to add on a Choymesh. Alright, and the fifth one on the list is the Hagezel Pruta, one who steals from his friend something worth at least Shoah Pruta, the Nishbaloi, and he swears to him that he didn't steal it, Moses Choymesh. He has to add on a fifth, a quarter of the value when he comes to returning it to the owner. And as we saw in the previous Mishnah, he would need to go uh, even to a far land in order to return this Choymesh, plus its value, to the owner of that item. We should test. The mission now returns to the main subject of our Perek, Oinoa, overpricing or underpricing, taking advantage of somebody else, and the posuk which the Torah says about the prohibition of Oinoa is the Chisimkru Mimkor Lamisecha, if you sell an item to your friend, or you buy something from the hand of your friend, you shouldn't take advantage of each other. You shouldn't commit to each other. So the Pasuk is talking about something which is bought from the hand of your friend, meaning an item which you can move and which you can pass from one hand to the other. And we're talking about an item which you're buying for the value of the item itself. Limkar is an item which is sold where there is value in the item itself. And because of what the Pasuk is talking about, the mission learns from here that the following are certain things where the halachas of Einu'ah do not apply to these following things. Firstly, ha'avodim, slaves, the hashtoros, documents, a document which says that somebody is entitled to a certain amount of money from somebody else. He's able to sell that to somebody else, and then they would get the money. Vakarkois, land, vakdishois, and something belonging to the Beis Hamikdosh. If the treasurer of the Beis Hamikdosh is selling something, 
So land is excluded from Oina'a because it can't, it's not something which you can buy and hand over. Slaves, it's learned from Psukim that the laws which apply to land apply to slaves as well. We're talking about non-Jewish slaves. So just like Oina'a does not apply to land, it also doesn't apply to non- selling non-Jewish slaves. The document which gives somebody entitlement to an amount of money, the document itself has no intrinsic value. It only allows somebody to reach other value. So that's also excluded. And the reason why Hectus is excluded is because the Torah says, I'll say no ishes ochiv. A person shouldn't take advantage of his brother. We're talking about two people and not something which belongs to the Beis Hamikdash and ultimately belongs to Hashem. As well as this, all of the four things we just listed, Elan Dashrami Kefel, the punishment of a thief that he has to pay back double the value of the item which he stole does not apply to these four things as well. Neither the payment of four or five times the value in a case where a thief stole a sheep or an ox and then sold or slaughtered it. His punishment is that he has to pay the owner four or five times the value of that item, specifically a sheep or an ox. If it's a sheep, then it's four times the value. If it's an ox, it's five times the value. And again, these two things are learned from Psukim that they don't apply to the four things. Shemechino in a nishba, a Shemechino, somebody who is guarding one of these things for free, and something happens to it such that he's not able to return it to the owner, he does not need to swear that he wasn't negligent, that he didn't look after it properly. Rather, he's automatically exempted. And a Shemechino, somebody who is guarding the item and being paid to guard it. So if something happens to the item even if it's not due to his negligence and not looking after it properly, he is still obligated to pay back the owner in general, as long as it was in his control to stop that happening. But when it comes to these four things, in Mishalim, he would not be obligated to pay. Once again, this is learnt from Psukim. Now, the fourth one on the list, which he said the laws of a Noah and these other things don't apply, was something belonging to the Beis HaMikdosh. Rabbi Shimon has an opinion which appears a number of times throughout Shas Mishnayis, and Rabbi Shimon says it depends. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says that there are two types of hektash. If somebody designates something to the Beis HaMikdosh, he can say, this item I am designating to the Beis HaMikdosh, or he can make a neder, he can make a vow that I am accepting upon myself to give something to the Beis HaMikdosh. And then he'll find an animal or something which belongs to him and he'll say, in order to fulfill my vow, I'm designating this animal as the item for Hektish. What's the difference between these two things? The Mishnah Megillah says that if the item is lost, or let's say the animal dies before he manages to give it to the Beis HaMikdosh. If he did it in the first way, that he just straight away said that I'm designating this animal as, as Hektish. So that was the only animal which he made Hektish. If the animal dies, so there's nothing, nothing he can do about it. However, if he made a neder, he made a vow that he's going to give something to the Beis HaMikdash, and then he said, in order to fulfill my vow, I'm going to use this animal. If that animal then dies, he still has a vow to keep, and he's not able to do it with that animal, so he has to go and get a different animal and give it to the Beis HaMikdash instead. And because of this, according to Rabbi Shimon, in the second scenario, the animal which he designated is viewed as partly belonging to that person, and not to the Beis HaMikdash. Because if the animal dies before he manages to bring it as a carbon, he'll have to go and get a different animal. So he's the one losing out if anything happens to this, to this animal. And therefore it's viewed as his animal, to some extent, and because of that, Rabbi Shimon says, Carbonis, which the person would be obligated to replace them if it gets lost or dies, and that's in the case where he made a neder, a vow, yes, they may not are. 
The laws of a Na'ad do apply because it's viewed as being his animal partly, and not just belonging to the Beis HaMikdash. Only Karbonis, which one would not be obligated to replace if something happens to them, the laws of a Na'ad would not apply to them because then it certainly does belong totally to the Beis HaMikdash. All right, so Yehuda, remember Yehuda says, he now adds a couple of things onto the list. Even somebody who sells a Sefer Torah, Behema, or an animal, Umargolis, or a jewel, a pearl, some special kind of stone, the laws of Enoa do not apply. The reason being that there is no end to the, there's no limit to the value of these items. Sefer Torah is not considered to be worth a certain minimum, maximum amount. And also an animal or a precious jewel, if somebody has a very similar animal, it can be very, very useful to have a very similar animal for them to work together in the field. So he'd be willing to pay a much, much larger price for such an animal. And the same applies to a precious stone. If he has a very similar precious stone, it's considered to be very special to have the other, the pair. So these things, people would be willing to pay a much higher value. And therefore you can never make a claim of a not because you can't put a definite maximum price on this item. No, they only said these four, which you mentioned at the beginning of the Mishnah, non-Jewish slaves, documents, land, and hektash, and we disagree with you regarding these things. Mr. Yud says the Mishnah, just like we have learnt that there is a no'a, there's a prohibition of taking advantage of somebody in business, so too there is a prohibition of taking advantage of somebody with words. For example, and this is known as Oynas Dvorim. So what's an example of Oynas Dvorim? Lo yom lo, a person shouldn't say to a seller or a shopkeeper, How much are you selling this item for? In a case where he doesn't intend to buy that item. He's going to end up making that person feel bad. In another example is if the other person was a Baltshuva. Somebody who had done certain Averas and had now done Teshuvah from those Averas, he had repented and mended his ways. You shouldn't say to him, Remember your first acts, that which you did when you were doing Averas. Or another example would be Imahu ben Gerim. If there is somebody who is the son or descendant of a, a convert, you shouldn't say to him, Remember the acts and the deeds of your fathers and grandfathers. Shinema, as the Pesach says, And you shouldn't take advantage or cause pain to a convert. And all of these examples of Inas Tavarim are learned from the Pesach of A couple of Pesachim after the prohibition of regular Inar in business, the Torah says this Pesach, which means that you shouldn't take advantage of your friend. And you should fear Hashem which implies that we're talking about something which only Hashem knows what your true intention is. All the examples we gave, you can easily pretend that you weren't intending to cause the person pain. You can claim that I was intending to buy the item. Or you can claim that I wanted the other person to do real shuvah, whatever it may be, but Hashem knows your real intention, and this is referring to the prohibition of a Noah's